This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome perinatal mental health advocate Mark Williams to the show. After Mark's wife experienced a traumatic birth, she developed severe postpartum depression. And like so many partners, Mark found himself struggling with his mental health as well. But he struggled in silence as he tried to support his family along the way. After a breakdown that showed him he had been struggling with postpartum depression, he realized how important it is to advocate for the mental health of all partners. He became a global advocate, eventually co-founding International Fathers Mental Health Day with Dr. Dan Singley, who's the director of the Center for Men's Excellence and appeared in episode 177. I'm so glad that people like Mark and Dr. Dan are advocating for paternal mental health. It wasn't long ago that we would hear people say, dads don't get postpartum depression. And while we've come a long way understanding that non-birthing partners can and do struggle, we still have a long way to go. Today, Mark and I discuss the signs and symptoms of postpartum depression in dads and non-birthing partners, the added social stigma that men face to bottle up their emotions, and the way this often leads to unhealthy coping mechanisms. We also talk about how the mental health of one parent impacts the entire family and what we can do to advocate for and support all new parents. I want to note that this episode does contain light references to thoughts of suicide and suicide attempts. Use your discretion when listening. Before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review reads, Since starting my talk therapy journey a month ago, Erica's interviews and notes have accompanied this beautiful journey to self-healing. I am a mom of two and a recovering perfectionist. This podcast reaffirms all the self-compassion I am working on in therapy. Her interviews are all on point with her mission to equip moms with the skills they need to succeed in self-awareness and mental and emotional healing. I didn't realize how lost I was in a sea of overwhelm and control until this journey brought me here. Erica has a soothing, non-dramatic way of representing her field in maternal mental health. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. I'm so glad to hear that you're on a journey to healing and learning the self-compassion that is a true act of self-care that we all need to learn how to adopt. It's hard to remember that when we're in the throes of motherhood, but we all deserve compassion, patience, and understanding. Now let's hear my conversation with perinatal mental health advocate, Mark Williams. Did you know that moms aren't the only parents at risk for postpartum mental health concerns? All partners face major adjustments during the transition into parenthood, and everybody is at an increased risk for developing depression, anxiety, or other struggles. The postpartum period brings a lot of difficulties from sleep deprivation, to uncertainty in your role, to difficulty bonding with your new baby. I want you to know that mental health matters, not just for moms, but for all partners. If you're struggling to find your footing as a parent and aren't sure what to do, the best thing you can do for yourself, for your partner, and for your baby is to take care of yourself. Working with a therapist who understands and specializes in the adjustment to parenthood can help you work through your feelings, navigate the difficult changes in your life, and determine how to meet your needs so you can heal, thrive, and show up as the best version of yourself. It's time to break the stigma, to reach out for help, and prioritize your mental health. Motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. Connect with one of our qualified maternal mental health specialists today. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. 
We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and accommodating being over the pond and time differences and a different time of day for you, but appreciate your effort and uh, making time for us and being here today. No, thanks, Eric. Like I said, it's really important that um, mums get to know the signs and symptoms of their partners as well when they go for these struggles as well. So um, it's great that a lot of mums will be uh, listening to this today because I think it's very important that they know the signs and symptoms, how fathers can get depressed as well. So thank you. Yeah. I've had a few different therapists, advocates, people on the show in the fatherhood space because like we support moms, but we also support parents, partners, fathers, and want everybody to know the signs because both partners need to be supported in order for a fine-tuned, you know, operation at home. So excited to have you here, excited to add this conversation to the resources for our parents. I'm curious about what inspired your advocacy work and your platform from my context and research into you. It comes from your own transition into parenthood and your own experiences. So, yeah, so um, me and my wife, Michelle, we were in totally different careers 19 years ago, over 19 years ago. And, uh, you know, we come to cars, all the material stuff we had then, you know, probably more money back then we are now, you know, in this space. But I think when you know, got married, everything was planned, went to become a family. And then um, after 22 hours labour, I remember my wife um, getting rushed down to the theatre. And it was the first time I actually had a panic attack. I've never had a panic attack since. Mm. And I worked in Secure So the theatre would be the operating, operating room, right? Like, yeah. So like an emergency broke out during labour? Or was that for C-section? For C-section, yeah. Emergency C-section, yeah. I uh, gotcha. When expecting it, you know. I was expecting, you know, cut the baby's cord and off you go, like sort of thing, you know. But um, I wasn't prepared at all. Right, of course. Yeah, and that's after 22 hours labour, the build-up of it. And then obviously when the doctors come rushing in and they said we need to get into theatre, then obviously that was you know, the fear of thinking that my wife was going to die and, of course, the baby, you know. So I had my first ever panic attack there and it was pretty embarrassing for me mm. because now the attention's on me when it should be on my wife, Michelle, you know. Right, right. So, yeah, so then when I went into theatre then, and, of course, you get gowned up and then looking back, whether they should have let me go into theatre at that precise time, I'm not sure. But um, but what I witnessed, obviously, you know, is, yeah, it was traumatic, you know, seeing my wife there and how scared she was and... Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't normally say so much what happened actually in the theatre, but um, but you know, after that, then he held a little baby, and I honestly thought it was going to drop him. You know, I never held a little baby in my life before. Right. Then the intrusive thoughts start to roll in, right? And you're also have just come through all of this fear and panic, and now you're just like, ah, this little fragile baby. Like I need to protect them, and this is certainly not the romanticized idea that we think over and over again, parenthood or the introduction into parenthood is going to look like, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, and uh, when it take him get weighed, gosh, you know, I was I was panicking. I was, honestly thought I was going to drop him because obviously my, Michelle couldn't take him down, you know. So uh, yeah, I think what really happened then, you know, I was expecting the three of us to leave the hospital. Obviously, Michelle had to stay in hospital for a couple of days after the, the operation. And then, the first night, you know, being home alone without them. Mm. And I just couldn't process what had just happened in a short space of time as well, you know. So the first thing I did was drink, you know. Ne- I knocked on my next door neighbours. Yeah. I just needed a drink, you know, because my mind was all over the place. Yeah, it was pretty scary at the time, for Michelle especially. But witnessing that, obviously now what we know is PTSD, you know. So, you know, because a lot of people know about PTSD is PTSD is an anxiety disorder the witnessing or experiencing a life-threatening event you know yeah and there's nothing worse you know thinking a wife and baby's gonna die in that situation I was in I felt I'm out of control you know and um I wasn't prepared I didn't process it you know yeah so yeah there's a lot going on and then Eric I had to 
go back to the ward the next day and Michelle's behavior was totally out of character and I put it down to lack of sleep and and what had just happened because I didn't know nothing about mental health back then you know yeah I was 30 years of age you know okay and that's when everything started to get worse and worse then onwards like you know did she have her own depression or anxiety or PTSD from her own experience and then you also had your own journey and experience or how was she after that? Because what I understand, I have not had an emergency C-section, but from what I understand, when you are laboring, expecting baby to come vaginally and something happens or it goes into distress, it is a scramble. It is like, get baby out now, right? Everything shifts, everything freezes. It just feels like it is literally like an intense life or death moment and, and everybody feels it. And so it makes so much sense, of course, that you would have your own experience through all of that. Even though it's not happening to you, it's happening to your biggest, you know, safe place, your home is this is your person. So it makes so much sense to have that experience and you're witnessing it. And was she put under? Like, what was her experience after? Because the two of you are, are trying to navigate and cope through this unexpected experience together, but also in your own individual way. Michelle didn't have any previous history of anxiety or depression. Of course, she was never diagnosed with any anything beforehand. Yeah. But I think what really happened was when she came home and, for instance, um, you, you know, the, she didn't sleep for two weeks. Mm. So the lack of sleep, she could mind racing. And then she came very unwell very quickly. Mm. My experience, obviously, at that time, I just thought, you know, again, you know, we just had a new baby and all sorts of things. And then, and then it came to crisis when my wife tried to take a life by suicide, you know. Wow. Okay. That was when things really started to escalate. Okay. Big time. I know I was in crisis team. You know, I, I, did, I was in services, you know, we talked about 19 years ago where there was no perinatal mental health teams back then. You know, it was only, you know, no understanding about postnatal depression. It was like, how can mums get depressed? They just had a baby, you know, that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. We were in that sort of ignorant end 19 years ago. So, you know, as a father, as a man, you know, as, you know, my wife's my best friend still is. And, you know, and we've been together 28 years now. But, you know, that fear, I think you're going to lose it again as well and then in a hospital and then right you know it was starting to have an effect on my own mental health as well massively and as well of course yeah and how many weeks postpartum was she when that situation happened for you all yeah it was about um about two or three weeks afterwards okay but the health visit picked it up of course just a week before i say yeah it's about four or five weeks maybe so it was a case of like leading up to it, you know, it was picked up as post depression. Okay. But then, of course, then, you know, I didn't know nothing about post depression. I was like, you know, I didn't know nothing about mental health. You know, what's post depression? Yeah. So um, the health is uh, explained a little bit more to me, but um, I was confused, you know, like I had to get work for six months, you know, yeah. in that period then. And I was expecting me back in work in two weeks. I was self employed, you know, so I was expecting back in work. And um, obviously, I had to give up work and go work. The isolation, then. Yeah. You know, I couldn't tell. We couldn't tell my family previously because we don't know anyone to find out. Mm. But when it came to crisis, that's when the family come together. Then, of course, you know. So okay. So you're just holding it all, you know. And I, I didn't initially get this overwhelming feeling love for my son initially, and I think that's because there was so much going on in the theatre, you know, and everything else. I didn't have time, you know, but. Uh, that six months I was home, mm-hmm. that's when the bond attachment grew because I had more time, you know, skin to skin, which is good mm-hmm. for dad and baby, mm-hmm. baby brain development, good for their mental health as well, which all the evidence says as well, you know. So um, so a little lot, mm-hmm. but my mental health was really, you know, de- but I suffered in silence. I couldn't tell my wife I was feeling or anyone else because I didn't want to impact on her mental health more. That's a very common thread that I hear is that moms, whether they've had a traumatic birth or not, like are going through so much so that when partners are struggling, they are reluctant to bring it to their partner because they don't want to add to the distress or the challenges of the experience. But then there's also this piece where 
men don't really talk to each other about these things. The most likely person they would be to talk to is their partner, but you feel like you can't. This is something really common I see. Do you hear this from dads? Is this a common piece? Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, well, over the years, gosh, hundreds. I know many fathers I spoke to over the years, you know, from different countries as well. And it's a common theme. But what we find is once the fathers are together in the groups, once you get one father to open up, the other one will follow. As long as in a safe place, men will talk. Okay. But they got to be in that safe place. Hmm. And so the men, once you get them open up, it's like a genie bottle. They start opening up. And it's just to get one father in the group. And that, what I often, I tell my story. And then somebody tells their story. And then we got the group in. Okay. So men do open up, but in a safe place. But you're right, outside our space, safe place. Because of the stigma, because of work. You know, they worry about work. They worry about it's going to affect their work, their livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, are they going to be sectioned? You know, and, you know, a lot of stuff is done in the community now, of course it is. But um, these sort of thoughts, we need to start breaking down the myths, really. And once you break down the myths, men will start opening up and talking in a safe place as well, you know. I'm curious what some of those myths are that prevent dads from reaching out. I'm curious what you've heard over the years supporting fathers. Yeah, some of the myths, uh, for instance, you know, like I work in mental health now, you know, and uh, for years, and I've diagnosed with ADHD at 40, you know, and I had a breakdown years later after this experience, which I can share later on. But, you know, explaining about communication, for instance, that's a big factor. They don't communicate. And we've done a lot of stuff where the mum would rather know what's going on rather than the mum overthinking everything. Mm. Is it me anything? Why is he avoiding situations? Why is he drinking more? Why is he not engaged with the baby? Is it something I did? Is he interested in somebody else? Is he like all the scenarios start to run through our minds then, right? So you're saying moms would rather just know the truth and that they're struggling, but the myth is that dads feel like that's burdening their partner. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so during COVID, we actually um, spoke to both parents. I work with a midwife. And this is what we've put to him. And every mum said, yeah, I'd rather you tell me what's going on. Yeah. Because I'm overthinking everything. And I, one of the big things when it comes to sex is sometimes fathers will avoid sex with their partners. When mum's overthinking, is anything I've done? Mm. And sometimes dad doesn't want sex with their partners because they don't want to be pregnant again and then go for that trauma they've just witnessed as well. See, So the communication needs to be talked about and breaking through it. And this is why it's important to support all parents in their mental health because it has far better outcomes to the whole family and child's development as well. So, yeah. And in the work I've done, when I set up a group years ago, it was only to support mums with their partners with post-depression. But what we find was a lot of fathers were struggling themselves and, mm-hmm. and that was impacting on mum. And they weren't explaining and the relationships have ended because obviously they suppress those feelings and it comes out in different behaviours then as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's loads of myths, you know, even around medication. You know, a lot of fathers would take medication once and then oh, I don't want to feel, you know, I always explain, you know, some people need our medication sometimes, some people don't, social prescribing. It's a very person-centered approach I use as well, find out what works for them as well. I'm working through that journey as far as transition as well. So we just break down all the myths, you know, as we go along. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. 
ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really interesting because the experience of depression or anxiety or PTSD, if we look at like the diagnostic criteria, it's not gendered. Like the symptoms or how we feel them or how they present is the same on paper. But what I find as a therapist is the ways that we use to cope with those experiences as moms and as dads often because of how socially acceptable it is, you know, like via gender norms or different things, there are different expectations in how we handle our feelings and when we are struggling often. So what I typically see is moms, you know, there is like the weepiness, but often actually there's a lot of irritability and frustration and a lot of not feeling good enough and hopelessness and worthlessness. And those feelings are probably present in fathers as well. But what we also know, and there was just this research that came out that I was chatting to you about, is that when children in the first year, I believe it was limited to, have a a father who has paternal depression, they are three times more likely to experience adverse childhood experiences than a home without a father with depression or something. And I feel like the way that it comes out, like you said, you went home and you drank. I hear about like an increase in kind of like risk-taking behavior or affairs and lots of different things. But I also think that because societally we expect men to cope in a different way, I'm curious your take on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, On the younger side, you know, anyone knows me, I'm very laid back normally, but uh you know, the fourth month, I remember punching the sofa, bust my hand. Yeah. I was getting intrusive thoughts, um, you know, I thought of suicide. Never made a plan to take my life. But the thoughts were getting, you know, because I was in this cooker, you know, couldn't tell anyone. Loneliness, gosh, I've never felt so lonely. And I got a lot of friends and family, but I couldn't. Uh, I'm from a community. My father was a miner, community, you know, very much uh, my grandfather's. All my family are miners, you know, coal miners years ago until the mind's closed, you know. So I was grown up to say, you know, come on, man up, get on with it, you know. And, you know, so I was masking my emotions then. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was, you know, avoiding a lot of stuff. And I think when you look at fathers, especially, they do suppress those feelings. And we talk about post-depression. When you look at all the thoughts and feelings of or symptoms of post-depression mums, there's not one father can't experience either. Breastfeeding comes up a lot. Sometimes fathers can be isolated, feel isolated or, Criticism can come up a lot. You know, sometimes I've had fathers say, the in-law said, oh, give me the baby, are you too slow? Change a nappy and, you know, and uh, and then they go off and off they go. But we go, we educate the fathers and the mums, of course. They say, look, that was on critical days in our baby's life. It's such an important time that, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes to change a nappy. It's the bond and attachment. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research and obviously scans that says it actually helps. the da- You can see the dad's brain rewiring as well as the baby's brain as well. So um, mm-hmm. so if fathers are depressed, they're less likely to sing, read, dance, and play with a child. And also, they're less likely to follow good health guidelines as well. Mm-hmm. So if we can support dads better, we can lower the risk of baby shaking syndrome, for instance, you know, these sort of things mm-hmm. as well. So there's a range of reasons why we've got to start looking at dad's mental health antenatally, postnatally onwards. But, you know, you can imagine a lot of fathers don't get actually 
diagnosed because we've started getting better in the UK, but a lot of mums get screen assessed, you know, by the postnatal pressure scale or whatever. But also fathers sometimes are not even asked about their mental health. So we did a survey that 85% of fathers wasn't asked once about their mental health. Wow. 85% last year. That's staggering. It's interesting because I put out a lot of content online. Uh, We used to do Father Fridays where we would feature research and statistics about dads. And I don't know why that phased out. But when we would advocate for screening dads and supporting dads and, you know, their experience, inevitably the comments would be filled with moms don't even get support and like all of the focus being centered on mom. I don't know, kind of as though it's some kind of competition. it, It brings out this very weird, like kind of tit for tat kind of attitude about who deserves to be centered and focused on during this time, right? And ultimately, if my partner were struggling, I too am struggling because I am tethered to him in a way that his capacity and ability to function directly impacts me and likewise mine to him because we are a unit and we function as a unit right? Yeah. And I experienced this postpartum where I had postpartum depression and anxiety. And I had like that loneliness and that hopelessness feeling that you were talking about. I remember saying to my husband, like, nobody cares about me. Like, you don't love me. Like things that were just never came out of my mouth before. Things that were so different from how I've ever perceived him or felt about him. And obviously that has an impact on him. And we know that fathers are 50% more likely to experience depression or anxiety if mom has depression or anxiety because we are a unit, right? And so likewise, I'm sure it works the same way around that if dad is struggling, mom is 50% more likely to struggle because we aren't alone in this partnership. It ebbs and flows back and forth. So the unit needs support. It's not like tit for tat. Who no. should be prioritized? You know. No, you took you took the words out of my mouth. Then I was going to actually going to say yeah, but um, the other thing is, anyone knows my work. You know, I'm a, I'm an ambassador for two mothers' charities. I'm not ambassador for no men's charities. Um, I'm a, I'm actually campaigning for the mother and baby unit in Wales. You know, seven years to get a mother and baby unit back in our own country, and that reopened two years ago now, you know. So wow. my work is never about taking attention away from mum. Yeah. Never has been. It's saying, look, we have to start looking at the father's mental health mm-hmm. because if we don't, a lot of men end up in services after the postnatal period and they get diagnosed with this uh, big umbrella diagnosis of anxiety or depression, mm-hmm. but also they don't get the root of the cause. So then the next baby comes along. Right. Then we know there's higher risk of antenatal anxiety now because now he's uh, this fear of, well, it's going to happen again. Am I going to experience this? Mm-hmm. And a lot of mums will get diagnosed with post-depression. And um, what happened after five years, and I had a breakdown because a lot of stuff happened in my family, a lot of loss in my family and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't dealt with everything in my life. It was five years after, that's when I had a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I was very unwell. Mm-hmm. And I was diagnosed with ADHD. Never diagnosed with PDSD or PND because I was very unwell, suicidal thoughts in the postnatal period. Mm-hmm. But one of the big factors came out there is that, well, I say big factor, now Michelle is looking after me now, she's worried about me. So what happens, your depression comes back mm-hmm. and she comes unwell again and back in crisis team for the second time. Mm-hmm. So it's getting a more holistic approach. If we can get it right during the perinatal period, antenatal period, mm-hmm. then it goes on and on and on. And the timeline, I've seen it with patients in general mental health work in the hospitals, how early prevention is key because it manifests into drinking or drugs or whatever that is. Yeah. So, so if we can get it right during the pregnancy or during that time, you know, then by supporting all parents, then the outcomes are far better. And like you mentioned about ACEs, this is some of the work I've done in ACEs, is adverse childhood experiences. We can lower adverse childhood experiences. Absent fathers, it manifests into loads of different areas as well. Mm-hmm. So that in the UK, it's actually the biggest killer in men under 45 being suicide. Mm. And bear in mind, like I mentioned, uh, you know, 85% of fathers wasn't asked once about their mental health. 
That's, and um, yeah. and with the research we found is up to 47 times more risk of fathers of suicide than at any other time in a man's life. And that came out in 2010, mm. and there's no research in 2018 as well. So we could save lives if we actually support fathers as well. So that risk goes up for suicide in the postpartum period for dads. Like that's a very high risk time that's been identified for them. Yeah, Gualdo Adeli did a research, but also what you'll find is, you know, like um, it could be other factors. We know about uh, ADHD, for instance, high risk impulsiveness. Mm. So if you've got ADHD like myself, you know, so I was probably in that barrier. But also I didn't have any childhood trauma. I didn't have no ACEs. The only trauma I had really was in school low self-esteem because obviously in school it, they didn't know about ADHD back then you know right, so right. so that's the only trauma I had really in childhood but you know you've got to take these other things in account to get that higher risk and but like you said the lack of sleep you know severe lack of sleep can cause psychosis to anyone mm-hmm. you know sleep deprivation transition what to call it the structure different things can happen during that period as well and mm-hmm. you know not everyone gets those thoughts and feelings you know it's a wonderful experience and in the science of fatherhood, it does take time. Mm. It does take time. That's why we encourage dads, you know, to keep at it. You know, but a lot of fathers I speak to, oh, yeah, the wonderful experience. But when I do speak to them later on, when they are struggling, Mark, I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. I just had to put a mask on. You know, I didn't get this all well and feel love, this bond that uh, I was expecting as a new father as well. Yeah. And then for some of those who maybe don't have the paternity leave to be at home, if that time with baby and that growing in your confidence. And we also had Dr. Jody Poluski on recently who was talking about how our brains as parents, new networks come online as we spend time with baby and our brains change and develop to become those parents. If they're turning around and going back to work because our workplaces and society aren't built to support fathers in their parenting role, then I imagine that lack of a bond or feeling bonded can persist for some time because they don't have just like the access or the ability, the time with baby to work on that as much as maybe mom who might be home with baby. So certainly there are structures also in our society that do not set dad up to really lean into parenthood. And it's such a disservice to both mom and dad, because we talk about moms taking leave. Well, one, the U.S. doesn't even really have leave for mom. I'm in Canada. I have leave. I'm fortunate to have leave. So, you know, moms are still bleeding and going back to work, you know, so that's a whole issue. But we talk about the division of labor in the home and roles and responsibilities in the home and in caregiving. And Yet all of these structures are also in place that put dad right back in the workplace and it's not normalized nor really encouraged for them to take that time. So I don't know. It's kind of a, it it feels like a setup. It feels like a setup to not (laughs) function well (laughs) in this new parenthood transition. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. You can imagine if if the baby's in a neonatal ward as well, you know, and now yeah. he was there for a couple of weeks, the baby is, and he's got to go work, you know, and he hasn't got that time. So that's something we've, we've tried to push in policies in the UK, especially, and uh, and, it, and a lot of organisations are looking at this better now as well. But I think the US is, is probably the, uh, the worst in, in the world, actually, when it comes to parental leave, because a lot of parents don't get it. We get two weeks. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents don't even get a week in the US, some parts of the states, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I've been told. Like So, yeah, we've got a long way to go from that as well, definitely. But it, we found in COVID that a lot of fathers been home, the benefits of COVID. Right. We found that the outcomes have been sometimes a lot better for the dad to be home, spend that time with the baby as well. So there's a lot of evidence, uh, a lot of good stuff in Scandinavia, research that shows this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Finland was the first country actually to demonstrate that it does work as well. You know, so. Yeah, and that it has lasting impacts on how active fathers are for years to come after that time home when they do return back to work, right? When they take that leave and they have that ability to gain that confidence in their role, they are much more active partners and those responsibilities are shared more broadly between the two partners. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. 
But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherine Areem's Psyched Mummy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All The Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. So it makes me think about the parents who are both struggling because I see, you know, maybe mom is struggling or I see maybe dad is struggling or maybe mom and dad are struggling and dad hasn't really shared. But when both parents are struggling, what is your recommendation to them? Or or I'm curious even how you and Michelle pulled through when you were both having such complex experiences yourself because I imagine we got to pull on other supports and be intentional with how we ask for help in those times. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty lucky. Like I said, my family, it was around us. You know, I'm from a community where my family is very local, like, you know, for instance. But uh, especially in the UK and I suppose in the, in the States, a lot of families, you know, they move away now, you know, it's, you know, it's for work. So it can be a lot harder for a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one thing. But like I said, when things got started to get back to normal around about... 12 months, 18 months, mm-hmm. around time. But then that period, when you're in it, you just go through it, like what you have to do, for instance. But um, for parents, when both parents, and I've seen a lot of parents, both of them struggling, whether you know, they've already got bipolar, schizophrenia, or adversarial experiences, uh, borderline personality, whatever it is, before they become parents and don't get that support in place. Mm-hmm. And then the other partner's got uh, other issues going on as well. So it's, it's so complex, mental health, and it? it's so complex. Yeah. And then, baby, you know, um, I'm, I'm working with a young father now at the moment, you know, and um, he's struggling leading up to it because in the antenatal period, because he's not just looking after himself now, he's got to look after his little baby now, you know, as well, and yeah. and all the other things, and, and the pressures today, the financial pressures, mm-hmm. you know. So my experience is when I speak to a lot of parents, yeah, you know, so much different things going on in the family, right. family work as well but um yeah the one thing i will say is that when michelle's had the second episode when she did the timeline of trauma it was pdsd it was the biggest trauma in her life mm. and this is what's misdiagnosed sometimes as well our mums get diagnosed post depression but we got to look at birth trauma as well because the symptoms do overlap into the postnatal period as well mm-hmm. so and that could be different treatments for pdsd as well you know so we got to start looking more person-centered, looking at, okay, look at the experiences and giving the parents a voice. So a lot that's what we have to do is give them that space to share the experiences because rather than just say, okay, this is what's happening because this is what I try to do with the parent. And then with my work is I signpost them to the right support, whether it's a birth trauma association or, you know, sometimes some fathers just want to speak to other fathers. And that's enough. Right. You don't see him again. Like peer support. Yeah. So we've got to start listening to parents, really, and find out what is the root cause of it sometimes as well. Yeah. Because otherwise it just manifests, you know. Yeah. But one thing I've learned with the fathers I've spoken to is given the space, you know, and, and the knowledge, and, you know, even I show them the still face experiment on dads, you know, mm. about the importance of this you know, work, you know, because it's one on dads. Once you give them that knowledge, you know, they thrive in it, they love it, you know, and they, they want to be uh, there for the children as well, you know. Yeah. It's giving them that education as well. You bring up a really important point that I don't know that I identified so clearly in my mind before where you had undiagnosed ADHD. I had undiagnosed ADHD. I went through depression and anxiety, which I'm sure has a lot to do with 
the fact that I had undiagnosed ADHD and didn't know. There are some people entering into parenthood who maybe have pre-existing, whether it's depression or have some mental health challenges that they faced before that they know about and know to be on the lookout for. And in that sense, when I work with clients like that, they're often like, oh, this is going to be a big change for me. Like I should get prepared. It's almost like when it's there, you can see it and you can anticipate it more and try to prepare and get your ducks in a row differently. The parents who I see often really, really struggle are those who probably had some mental health things or like undiagnosed ADHD or something, you know, high functioning anxiety or high functioning depression, but never were clearly called out or defined. So are very blindsided by their experience and unprepared because they don't have the skills. They haven't talked to the doctors. They haven't been assessed. They haven't been maybe in therapy and gathered the skills before. So it's like the transition into parenthood just pours gasoline on what was sort of maybe an undercurrent there before. And that was certainly my experience. Had I been identified sooner and had I had some of the skills for ADHD or understood how I functioned as a person, I would have planned differently. There's a lot of things that I would have done differently, right? So I think that is a big piece where, I I don't know, something for us to be on the lookout for. So Erica, I just did an article on them which got published uh, in the midwifery forum in the UK. And so is it the ADHD as a driver, you know, as well for when parenting as well? Because you know what all the other struggles, I didn't know it was, it was like an invisible enemy. Right, exactly. You know, I've had it all my life, you know, dyslexia, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 50 next and I'm still hyperactive, you know, when I'm into subjects. So you can imagine there was a lot of stuff going on before becoming a parent, you're right. So we did a paper and it was another lady I did a paper uh, with who had ADHD, diagnosed at 40, but struggled when becoming a parent. Is the ADHD the driver as well when people can get depressed, overwhelmed, overstimulated? I, I believe that uh, even the labor ward, you know, I can pick up on people's feelings and, you know, when the, the doctors come rushing in, you know, the, the mood and everything, I picked up on those things, you know. So that contributed to my panic attack and you know loads of things that contributed to these uh, things that I was depressed in that postnatal period as well so you're right it's a big factor when it comes to ADHD if I was diagnosed now I know about ADHD more now obviously the last 10 years I've looked into it my wife it actually helps my wife as well because you know when I used to go down to the shop to get a pint of milk or some of the baby and forget everything bar the milk and come home and I've started talking to somebody for two hours. And um, that's another thing, time anxiety, we don't talk enough about uh, as new parents. It's another thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I could have managed it better. I know when I get overwhelmed now, I know when it's too much. I get it now because I know I understand me now. Yeah. But it's a big factor having ADHD, autism, dyspraxia, you know, these sort of things before we become parents, neurodiversity before we become parents as well. And that's one thing, even lack of sleep and the other things we talked about. What I will want to touch on before I forget, because that's one thing about ADHD, my mind sometimes forgets, um, <laughs> is when I started doing the work in 2010 and um, started going on, obviously, different programs and stuff, you can imagine the stigma around fathers of postnatal depression. You know, what's fathers got to be depressed about and different things. Right. So, yeah. you know, this evidence has been out there that there's biological risk factors when it comes to fathers now as well. You know, when testosterone, estrogen, cortisol levels and vasopressin actually lowers the fatherhood. And there's been many studies on this as well. But when you look at the bigger evidence, obviously, like you mentioned, it could be other factors that contribute to the mother or father or whoever that parent is actually depressed during this perinatal period as well. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's not just like years ago when I first started, oh, postnatal pressures, hormonal. There's loads of other factors as well. Right. So many and sleep and support system and relationship satisfaction and all the things. There's so many contributing factors, many of which we don't know to be on the lookout for. But if we had to manage or cope with challenges with our mental health before parenthood, we might be a little bit more equipped because we've been through it a little bit. And so as we think about wrapping up, I'm curious what you would say to yourself back then or what you would say to partners and dads who are listening now who resonate with this experience and are struggling. What would you say to yourself or to them? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think communication. I talk to my wife more now. We open, you know, if I need a space and, you know, so she's overthinking, is anything wrong? We're very open. I think depression may be the biggest liar ever. Mm-hmm. Massive liar, because obviously I just want to avoid, you know, and I didn't want to impact on my wife's mental health. And uh, so that's one thing, be open. There's no shame. The quicker the help, the quicker recovery. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, speak to the therapist, speak to somebody. Because I didn't know what therapy was about until I went through therapy. And it's absolutely amazing. I say to some fathers, you know, again, another myth, oh, counsellor does work. Um, okay, we'll try a different counsellor. Maybe you didn't get a rapport with a counsellor. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we have an issue because counselling, it is hard work. You know, my lifestyle changed 13 years ago, really. And I was working in mental health back then as well. So my lifestyle changed when I had a full breakdown and I was in community mental health service myself. And I've still keep on, like tonight, go to the gym, exercise, you know, at the eating, but also mindfulness, being in the moment. There's loads of different things, art therapy, I do a lot of art therapy, mm-hmm. things that keep me more grounded as well, sort of thing. So, and find out to educate yourself about it as well, you know, especially if your partner's going for post-depression or postpartum depression, of course, uh, you know, so, you know, educate yourself about it, because I didn't know nothing about it back then. I didn't know anything whatsoever as well but uh, the early years is such an important time that thousand critical days in a baby's life as well so it's very important to look after yourself uh, first because then you can look after the baby even better then as well and your partner as well so mm-hmm. yeah I appreciate that so much and I'm thinking like for us and for our mom well team as we support moms and parents like if mom has a diagnosis we should obviously work with her and get her in treatment but our next stop should be screening dad because we know how at risk they are or partner partners also are at risk of these adjustments and these struggles in parenthood so thank you so much for your time today thank you for the advocacy work and the international day for dad's mental health and all the things that you are doing and how you're shaping this space for future parents to come where can people learn more from you read about what you're up to connect with you yeah, yeah, I'm on um, LinkedIn mostly and Instagram, Mark Williams now, Mark Williams, B-C-A-H and uh, F-R-S-A it is. And, uh, but also just Google Mark Williams, Father's Mental Health. I work with Dr. Jane Hanley. If there's any health professionals out there want to know more, you know, we, we do a lot of work. You know, uh, we can send you some free stuff over. I've done reports. I, I can send anything over. My work is not just about keeping it to myself. We need to share this work, you know. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I want a big, a big shout out to Dr. Daniel Singley. He's in California. So we set up International Fathers Mental Health Day. And mm-hmm. you know, I had the idea in 2016 to make it international because this is a global concern because even the World Health Organization has nothing on paternal mental health at the moment. Mm-hmm. So this is not just a UK concern, you know, it's a global concern that yeah. we need to start looking at the fathers as well. So, um, yeah. And, Look after yourselves, definitely as well. Yeah. We'll make sure to link all of that in our show notes so people can easily click through and find you. We've had Dr. Dan Singley on the show a couple of times before. He's wonderful. Appreciate the work you are both doing in this space. Thank you for your time today and for joining us. No, thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Erica. I often think about how much of the load my husband carried when I went through my episode of postpartum depression. He stepped up supported me, and kept everything moving. And I'm so grateful for that. It really opened my eyes to the way that our mental health impacts each other and how the family unit relies on everyone. It's easy for me to see why the risk of postpartum depression goes up for a partner when one parent struggles. There can be this sense that if one of us is suffering, the other needs to bear everything in silence and carry the load alone. But in doing so, the isolation and bottling up of feelings can backfire. I'm grateful to Mark for the work he's doing in promoting awareness and letting dads and partners everywhere know that it's okay to struggle and that we need to talk about it to seek the treatment needed and to work together to support families on a systemic level. It isn't easy to break the stigma of postpartum depression. We're battling gender norms, social conditioning, and ongoing unrealistic expectations of parenthood that still gets carried on by the media. But every little step helps. Checking in on our partner, checking in on a new parent in our lives, 
normalizing mental health treatment and encouraging everyone to talk about their struggles. I know that so many moms are undersupported. Many moms are struggling alone. Many moms need paid leave and workplace support and consistent checking in and screening for their mental health concerns. But my biggest takeaway from today's episode that I hope you walk away with is that supporting dads or partners doesn't decrease support for moms. When we advocate for mental health support for everyone, we're doing the work to break stigmas, change systems, and benefit the entire family. I do want to take a moment to offer a quick correction on a statistic from this episode. I mentioned a recent study from the AAP regarding increased risk for children experiencing adverse childhood experiences in the home where dads develop postpartum depression. I stated that it tripled the risk, but I misspoke. It actually doubles the risk that children will experience three or more adverse childhood experiences. If this episode resonated with you, I encourage you to take the time to revisit some of our other previous partner-focused episodes, including episode 149 on paternal postpartum anxiety with Dr. Pierre Azam, episode 117 on how partners can help with breastfeeding with Eric Taylor, and episode 177 on the invisible load of fatherhood with Dr. Dan Singley. I would love to hear what you thought of this episode. Please consider taking a minute to send me a DM or leave a review to help spread the word and let us know what you'd like to see more of in the future. And if you are out there struggling or you think your partner might be, remember that we offer support for all partners. You can book a free 15-minute virtual consult at momwell.com booking. That's momwell.com booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by best-selling author Jessica Gallica to discuss how we can handle feeling like we're in a rut in our career. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell.